offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage, a program where we together explore the verses of the Bhagavad Gita. We go verse by verse, we try to learn the meaning of each of these in depth, of course, not the recitation of the mantra as such. We have Brother Sham who has very beautifully rendered all of these shlokas for us, but we go through them in detail. We are in the second chapter and I would say somewhere around or a little before the middle of the second chapter is where we are. As always, we will be continuing it and we'll be taking about two or three or maybe four verses as the time permits. Before we begin, as always, I'll give you a short summary of what we covered last week so that we'll have an idea of the continuity. Last week we went through three verses, verse number 31, 32 and 33. And uh, these naturally can be clubbed together because Krishna is talking about one very important standpoint, if I could put it that way. He talks of it from the standpoint of dharma or duty. In verse number 31 he says how Arjuna will be failing in his swadharma. He coins that term in the Bhagavad Gita for the first time, which is of course a very important term which will be explained further in the future verses too. So he says he will be failing in his swadharma and when he says swadharma it means that dharma which is specific to Arjuna, Arjuna who is a Pandava, Arjuna who is a Kshatriya and who has come to the point of the war after trying to avoid all of that, whatever efforts were taken from the side of the Pandavas. So he says that your swadharma is defined by all of this and even from the point of view of what is your duty right now, not fighting is not the right option. And uh, that's why in fact Krishna goes on to refer to the war itself as a dharma yuddha or a righteous war. And we discussed the last time how one of the ways by which the war can be called a dharmic one or a righteous one is that all efforts were made in the right earnest to avoid that war. And in spite of all of that, they are in this situation and that is one of the ways by which you can define this as a war that is fought on a righteous note. So the basic dharma of anyone in that sense is non-violence or not wanting to harm others. So it is for even somebody who is a kshatriya like Arjuna. But when it comes, when it becomes imperative to use violence to deal with adharma, one must not waver and that's what Krishna says, na vikam pitum arhasi, you should not be wavering after all these efforts have been done. And for a kshatriya, for a warrior, such a war becomes a grand opportunity. Krishna says, Shireyaha anyat kshatriyasya na vidyate. For a kshatriya, there can be nothing more greater than this. A war itself is an opportunity for a kshatriya because as we went through last week, a lifetime goes into the preparation for a warrior. But Many of them might never be able to express that at all. And thankfully so, isn't it? Because nobody wants a warlike situation. Same is it for Arjuna. He spent his entire life preparing for this war. So war itself is an opportunity for a Kshatriya to express the talents that have been gathered over a lifetime. And when the cause is selfless or when it involves the welfare of the society, it becomes an opportunity for participating in the war to become a meritorious act, right? And as we saw last week, if you choose to fight on the right side, like how Arjuna is fortunate to be on the right side, even the great warriors like Dronacharya and Bhishma do not have that opportunity. They are also Kshatriyas. For them also, this war is an opportunity. 
for them also this is a righteous war but unfortunately they are on the wrong side so in that sense arjuna is fortunate on all counts and finally krishna says in verse number 33 he says if you now give up this action of participating in this war it will be considered a sin and we went into that detail of how inaction can become a sin it is quite understandable that when you perform an action it can be judged as meritorious or sinful or you accordingly draw the consequences to that act but when you do not act when you choose not to act how can it become a sin and that is where the idea of dharma as duty comes in dharma merely as a righteous act or a meritorious act if performed gives you a merit if you do not perform you don't get a merit but when you're talking about dharma as a duty a duty is something that you are meant to perform so doing it is meritorious choosing not to do it also becomes a sin as much as doing it wrongly and that's what krishna tells him that all of this explanation has been given and now you're in this situation if you choose not to act then you will be not only missing out on the opportunity of entering heaven or doing that meritorious act but not acting also will be considered as a sin so those were the three verses we went through in a sense they are speaking of krishna is giving the argument from the standpoint of dharma very very important three verses as we will see many times i've mentioned this before the second chapter of the bhagavad gita is something like the zipped file of the entire bhagavad gita because all of these concepts will be elaborated as we go forward in a very brief manner krishna is touching upon some of these concepts giving a brief explanation in the process of trying to convince arjuna we'll go to the verses that we have for today we'll go to verse number 34 as always it's in the voice of brother sham one of our alumnus who is very kindly rendered and recorded and sent us this rendition very very clearly we we'll listen to the rendition i'll give you a short meaning of that verse and then we'll discuss further akirtinchaapi bhutani kathayishyanti te vyayam sambhavitasya chakirtihi maranadati ricchyate people will speak of your unending infamy and to an honorable person infamy is worse than death that's the meaning of verse number 34 and in a manner of speaking this is a continuation of the arguments which krishna had given earlier saying that if you're the indweller you should not worry and if you think that you are the body and not the indweller of the body then also you should not worry right we had gone through that a couple of weeks ago here the argument is pretty much similar to that let me explain how that is he says if you believe in continuity from birth to birth then you must consider the idea of sin and merit too as sin and merit outlive the body and they get carried forward right that's how we understand how a soul travels from body to body these sin and merit are called adrishta phalas or unseen results of our actions whenever we perform any action there are seen or immediate benefits or results for example i'm hungry and i perform the act of eating the immediate result is the satisfaction i feel the satiating of the hunger or if i do a mistake and i immediately apologize to the person who i offended then i see the immediate result of that person coming down or that situation being handled or let us take the example of say i'm 
probably writing a code and I'm programming something for which I'm writing the code. If I make a mistake in the code, the code will not work. If I identify the mistake and I correct it, the code works. So there are immediate consequences which can be connected to the act, right? But uh, let us say I do something illegal and I manage to cover it up. Let's say I don't pay my taxes and I find a way of by which I hoodwink the government, right? The immediate fala or result of me doing that action and covering it up is beneficial to me, right? I probably gained that money which I should have otherwise paid as taxes and I've managed to keep the government away too. So the immediate fala or the result of that act is that I have a benefit. But the adrisht fala of an act such as that becomes a sin because it's a mistake that I've done or it's an unrighteous act. Swami always says that you should follow the sanganiti, whatever is the legal terms of the society we live in. So in that sense, even though I am not going to be discovered by the legal agencies as having performed a crime or having not done my duties, even if I manage to get away with it the entire lifetime and nobody catches up with me, still the Adrishtafala will not be removed from there. The Adrishtafala is going to be that I have done something wrong. Or if we were to look at a more positive example, let us say that on my way to work, I do some small act of kindness. Let's say there's some elderly person who needs some help and you know, I go and help that person. The immediate drishtafala is actually a feeling of self-satisfaction, right? When you do seva, when you go and help another person, forget about the merit and all of that. You immediately feel something good about yourself. In fact, it can be chemically explained of what happens in the brain when you go and help a person. So there is a drishtafala. So drishtafala does not necessarily mean seeing with the eyes, but a perceivable result to whatever we are doing. So when you do something meritorious like going and helping somebody, the drishtafala of that moment is this feeling of self-satisfaction or a warm feeling within. And maybe I'll end up going late for work and my boss might get upset with me. So the boss might take me to task, he might come and shout at me. So that also is drishtafala, right? I've done an act, it has delayed me on that day, I've gone late to office. So the consequences of me landing up late in the office are also the drishtafala of this act. But if you were to look at the Adrishtafala, yes, in spite of me having enjoyed that moment of having that self-satisfaction, I will also have the Adrishtafala or the unseen benefit of a punya or a merit which gets added on, right? And it is this Adrishtafala that comes to us later, either in this life or probably the next lifetime. Why do some people have it so easy in life? Why for some people every attempt at a business is a failure? I mean, we see all of that, right? But someone touches something and it's like magic. It just clicks. Whatever they do, it just it turns out to be really good. It is because of this adrishtafala or the unseen merit points that we've earned over many lifetimes, right? In most of the Indian languages, if you actually look at it, the word adrishta is used for luck, right? When you say something is, someone is a lucky person, we say adrishtavantudu in Telugu. We say he's a lucky person. So, oh, you have so fortunate adrishtam. Adrishtam is used as luck, but actually it comes from this Adrishtafala. What we refer to as luck is nothing but the unseen benefits of whatever we've done in the past. So eventually all of these Adrishtafalas will decide what sort of a birth or what kind of a body we enter into, right? And when you're talking about the interim period, whether we're going to be spending that in heaven or hell, because that's a different concept, I'll not go into that. I did have the opportunity to speak about that in length in reply to one of the answers on the Answering Booth show. 
right? So whether it's an interim period in heaven or hell or which kind of a body, what kind of a family we enter into, what kind of an economic background the soul enters into, all of that is also being decided by the Adrishtafalas of all our actions, right? So a person who believes that we are not just the body, but we are the soul that travels from one body to another, through this process called birth and death, will automatically have to believe in this idea of sin and merit, papa and punya, right? Because these are the ones which decide what sort of life we would earn. That is why in the shloka we went through the last week, Krishna says, if you participate in the war, swargadvaram apavritam, the doors of heaven will be wide open. Which means you would have earned so much merit that the heaven will be open for you. And in this life, yes, all that you say of losing your loved ones would have happened, but what you would have done would have been the right thing to do and you would have earned merits out of that. Right? On the other hand, if you do not perform the actions that you were supposed to, then you would have earned sin. Papam avapyasi. Right? That's what we had spoken of last week. So these are based on the belief that one believes that there is sin and merit, there is adrishtafala, and that adrishtafala matters when the body is taken up by the soul after death, right? But in this sloka, Krishna goes back to the argument of the present. He doesn't talk about the future. He talks about the present of someone who doesn't wish to consider heaven and hell in the decision that is being taken now, right? Because that's what happens to us when we are under stress. We worry only about the current moment or the present moment. In fact, that is what the process of stress is meant to do to us I mean, even if you look at it biologically, that's what it's supposed to do. You know, it is supposed to trigger off the fight or flight response, which basically makes us concentrate on the task at hand instead of thinking of the past or the future, right? And that is why it is also dangerous to be in stress all the time because you'll always be not considering the learning from the past, right? So stress is meant to do that to you and that is what Arjuna is under tremendous stress, right? So if we were in Arjuna's place, if we were under the kind of stress that Arjuna is in, being depressed and he's crying, even my first thought would have been like, who cares about heaven or hell? Right? I do not even know whether they exist and why would I even factor them into my decision making at this moment of time? Right? That would have been precisely what Arjuna's thinking would be. So Krishna gives an argument that is related to something more within the immediate view of Arjuna rather than thinking about the heaven and hell and he knows because that is what Arjuna might be thinking, right? In other words, he refers to the drishtafala of the actions that he's going to perform or he's refusing to perform. What will be the perceivable consequences of Arjuna's decision? That's what Krishna says here. He says, Apicha and also Bhutani, all people, te akirtim katayishyanti will speak about your infamy avyayam, endlessly. Right? This is a continuation of the previous one where he says that if you don't participate in this war, it will result in sin. And now he's continuing with the same thing. So if you don't participate, apart from all of this, apicha, and also all people will start speaking ill of you, will speak about your infamy and not for a few days and then forget about it, Avyayam, endlessly they will speak about your infamy. So here Krishna is attacking that which is dear to Arjuna in the present, right? This argument applies to all of us, but in the modern world, people may or may not give so much importance to 
infamy. As a modern quote goes, there is nothing like bad publicity, right? That's what people believe because people tend to quote controversy because it makes them popular. So they don't mind if you know there's a little bit of infamy or there's bad uh, rumors about you running because always everything is good publicity. But Arjuna is a kshatriya, right? And a kshatriya is always driven by pride and fame. In fact, that is how the nature of people is defined in the segregation of caste, right? It is not by birth, it is not by lineage. Swami would often say it is by the way karma is performed, right? And Swami would say a, a Brahmin is one who is always drawn by the Brahman or the self-discovery or, you know, thoughts of Brahman, right? He is a Brahmin. If you look at a Vaishya, the Vaishya is a businessman. He's all the time thinking about what profit can be got through the actions I perform. If I do this, always does a cost-benefit analysis. Do I really benefit something or is it worth doing otherwise, right? And if you look at a Shudra, Shudra is always happy to lead a day-to-day existence, right? Fulfilling one's immediate needs and filling life with pleasure. And that is why Swami would say that there's a beautiful quote in the Vedas which Swami would quote. He says, when you're born, everybody is a Shudra. But through effort, one becomes a Brahmin. It's not by birth that one becomes a Brahmin, right? But a Kshatriya, going back to who Arjuna is, Arjuna is a warrior, a Kshatriya. A Kshatriya is always driven by fame and pride and valor, right? That is why when there is a war, the king is supposed to put himself right in front because he does not value his life over that valor that he is meant to display, right? And that Kirti that comes from valor and that pride which comes from being upfront over there and putting your life on the line. That defines the Kshatriya nature, right? So very, very smartly Krishna is targeting that which is dearest to Arjuna because Arjuna was an all-in-out Kshatriya if you were to put it that way. In fact, in the Mahabharata and even during the war later, multiple times Arjuna himself will take vows saying that, you know, I will achieve this by sunset or I will achieve this by tomorrow and if it doesn't happen, I'll give my life up or I will burn myself in a fire, right? It's because the word is so important for a Kshatriya. And when Krishna is trying to counsel Arjuna out of his confusion of what is his duty, when he refers to the immediate ill effects of the actions, he makes first reference to the akirti which will come or the infamy which will come to him, right? Because that is greater than even wealth and even one's own life when it comes to a Kshatriya. That's why he says, Sambhavitasya for an honorable man, akirtihi, ill fame, maranat atirichyate is worse than even death. And he's specifically saying this to Arjuna because he knows that is the nature of Arjuna, right? And this is a very, very important point in that sense. As I said, this argument may apply to us, may not apply to us because we live in a world where everything is short lived. Every people's memory is so short-lived. So we may or may not apply so much importance to this. We'll come to that towards the later part where we'll talk a little about Kirti. But the argument which Krishna is using is something which we have to keep in mind, especially if we are going to play the role of being a counsel to somebody. We're trying to counsel somebody out of a depressed state, right? First part of the second chapter, completely Krishna spoke the truth. He gave the example of truth. He spoke of the ultimate truth. But he also acknowledges that a person who is depressed will have to be given an argument which is more current and more present and relatable apart from the absolute argument, right? When you're trying to counsel a person who's in grief, 
you have to also counter in where that grief is coming from, right? Arjuna's grief is purely coming from his attachment and also it is coming from the fact that, you know, he does not want to carry this infamy around. He does not want to be spoken of as somebody who has set off this entire disastrous chain of reactions which has led to adharma in the society, right? That's what his lamentation was all about. So Krishna is factoring in that also and I think that is an important thing especially as parents, as teachers, as elders, if we are playing the role of trying to counsel people out of depression or out of stressful moment, we also have to factor in things which are very, very important to that person in the right moment, in that current moment. And that's what Krishna is doing here. So we'll go to verse number 35. It's a continuation of the same argument which Krishna has given in 34. We'll listen to the verse. I'll give you a short meaning of that verse and then we'll discuss. भयाद्रणादुपरतम मम्स्यन्ते त्वां महारथा येशांचत्वं बहुमतो भूत्वायास्यसिलाघवं The great chariot riders will think of you as having desisted from the fight out of fear and you will fall in disgrace before them to whom you had been estimable. And now Krishna starts literally rubbing it in and playing with Arjuna's thinking further. He says, look, if you run away now from the battlefield, do you think people will speak of you gloriously? Do you think people will say, oh, what Arjuna had that he has been so kind and he's left away? They will only laugh at you and will say, you were scared. And why so? As we discussed last week, Wanting peace and truth is not wrong, it is absolutely noble. But when it has been decided that it is best for the kingdom, that war is the only means to defeat the forces of unrighteousness, then to think of peace or talk of peace or truth will be looked up as only an act of cowardice and not as an act of nobility. We're talking of it generally, you know, looking at the scenario, of course, when we are reading the epics, be it the Ramayana or Mahabharata, in this case, the Bhagavad Gita, we always have this disadvantage of knowing the plot before, right? So sometimes we might not necessarily go into the emotion. So we all know that the Pandavas are eventually going to win, but the situation at that moment is completely different. That's why if you look at it, take the example of the quality of humility. Humility is always seen as glorious, when seen in a person who has achieved a lot, right? If I've done absolutely nothing, I have no achievements to speak of and I keep saying that, oh, I am nothing, I am a nobody. Yes, it is a noble thing to think like that and think that in the larger scheme of things that you are just a small person. But if you have achieved nothing, it will not be spoken of as a great quality of humility. But on the other hand, if you're a person who is a great achiever, you've done some stupendous things, and everybody is looking up to you. And then if you have humility, that humility will shine out. People say, oh, he's a humble person. He's such a great achiever, but still so humble. But if I'm a failure, if I've done nothing, yes, humility is still a good quality. I'm not denying that. But it will not be spoken of as a great quality in a person who has not achieved so much, right? Similarly, when you're talking about forgiveness or when you're talking about what Arjuna is trying to do, it will be seen as a noble quality when you have the might to challenge the person opposite you, right? Say there is a huge conflict between the United States of America and 
a country like El Salvador or Honduras or something like that. Now, if USA were to say that, okay, forget it, we don't want to get into this armed conflict with you because you know we are pitying for your citizens and we know that you're not going to be able to fight. So we forgive you, don't worry, you know, we're not going to do anything. Then the news will say that, okay, noble gesture by United States of America. On the other hand, if you say that, you know, El Salvador or Honduras is saying, you know what, USA, we forgive you. We don't want to take any action against you because we don't want to harm you. That will not be spoken of as nobility, even though that thought might have come from genuine nobility, right? You will say, oh yeah, you wish as though you could have done anything, right? That would have been a response if some small country comes forward and says that, oh, we forgive you, right? Similarly, all said and done, if you look at the scenario right now, the Pandava army is actually smaller than the Kaurava army. And if you look at the headcount, I mean, that is from the point of view of headcount. If you look at it from the point of view of who's participating, there are far greater warriors on the other side, on the Kaurava side, right? As I said, when we know the story, we forget it. We forget the situation, what was there then. We know that Lord Krishna was on Pandava's side and definitely Pandavas are going to win. But if you look at it from the historical perspective of how it would have been then, Hastinapur was one of the most powerful kingdoms. Nobody would have thought of challenging it merely because of the presence of somebody like Bhishma, right? Who could never be felt by anybody. So merely because of the reason that the throne of Hastinapur was being protected by Bhishma, it was considered an impregnable kingdom. Now on top of that, you have Dronacharya, you have Karna, which means there are three warriors who are direct disciples of the great Parashurama. Right? And of course, you have Duryodhana too, who is a disciple of Dronacharya and Balarama. It's a massive lineup there, right? Yes, the Pandavas are great, no less. Yes, great Arjuna is there. There are some other great fighters on this side. But from the point of view of what was then, this was considered a lopsided balance in favor of the Kauravas, right? So if Arjuna retreats now in this particular situation, Krishna asks him, Do you think people will call you noble? Do you think that, you know, tomorrow when they speak about it in the army camps or I don't know if in those times there was anything like a tabloid or a newspaper or something like that, do you think the newspapers will report by saying that, oh, Arjuna, the noble one, went away from the battlefield? No, it will be said that, you know, they were very, very proud and they were very courageous about what they could achieve. But when they came to the battlefield, they saw this huge lineup and they went away, right? He says that that's what people will speak. They will not speak about your nobility. They will say that you chickened out seeing the larger army on the other side, right? And they will say that you're trying to package your cowardice and push it off as nobility. Don't think that people will praise you for this decision. Bhayat ranat uparatam tvam. You have retreated from the battlefield. Mamsyante maharathaha. Thus the great warriors will think. Yesham chatvam bahumato bhutva. And you have been considered as highly estimable Yasyasi Laghavam. You will fall in the eyes. As we spoke last week, a Kshatriya, a warrior, he prepares an entire lifetime, but he has very, very few opportunities to express it, right? So the legend of Arjuna might have spread through all the countries, right? All of these warriors who have assembled on the either side of the battlefield would have all heard of Arjuna, but not many of them would have seen Arjuna in action, right? Thankfully so, otherwise they wouldn't be there. They would have probably been killed. 
right? Except for a few people who have seen the display of Arjuna's talent or probably had a short duel with him, know his prowess. But otherwise, it's all legend. They've all only heard of the great mighty Bhima. They've only heard of the great archery of Arjuna, right? Now, for them also, it's an opportunity to see whether Arjuna is really that great warrior they've heard about, right? They all have great regard for him merely because of the legend which has spread about who Arjuna is and of course the Pandavas have earned a very very good name, right? But if Arjuna were to retreat at this point, they will all say, oh, so all of what we heard was only mere hype and legend. There's no truth in that, right? After all, Arjuna isn't a great warrior. They would have said that, you know, he came, he saw, he saw the huge expanse of the army and he thought he will run away, right? So just as this is an opportunity for Arjuna to express all the knowledge that he has gathered all his lifetime, if he doesn't grab this opportunity, this will become a reason for infamy too, right? So clearly Krishna is hitting where it matters to Arjuna, right? As a Kshatriya, he does not want to earn a good name. In fact, that was a major part of his argument when he spoke in the first chapter. He says, oh God, people will tell me that Oh, this Arjuna is the cause for all of this disaster which has befallen the society, right? Because he does not want that bad name and that's why he wants to run away from there. So Krishna clearly says, look, you cannot run away because it is your duty and if you run away, even inaction becomes a sin. And forget about sin and merit if you don't want to consider that. Think of the infamy which will come. So on all sides, Krishna is arguing and explaining why the decision that Arjuna is trying to take is wrong. So that is the verse number 35 that we went through. We'll listen to verse number 36. I'll give you a short meaning after that and then we'll discuss that after that. Avachya badamscha bahun Vadishyanti tabahita Nindantastavasamarthyam and your enemies will speak many indecent words while denigrating your might. What can be more painful than that? Krishna says, they will not spare you, they will not pity you or praise you. Bahun, many avachyavadan, unspeakable words, indecent words, vadishyanti will be spoken. Tava ahitaha by your enemies. Nindantaha tava samarthyam. Nindantaha tava samarthyam. They will ridicule your prowess. They will say Yudhishthira had challenged the Kauravas, believing that Arjuna is there, right? There is this very, very beautiful episode which I made a reference to where Yudhishthira has this conversation with the Yaksha. At the end of it, he answers all the questions the Yaksha asks. And the deal with the Yaksha is, I'm not going into the complete story, that if Yudhishthira replies to all the questions that the Yaksha is asking, he will permit him to drink water from that uh, particular lake, right? At the end of it, the Yaksha is so very pleased with uh, Yudhishthira, he tells him, okay, I will give you back the life of one of your brothers. Because by then, the four other Pandavas had drunk the water and they've been poisoned by that water. Because they had refused to answer the question that the Yaksha was asking them, right? So at the end of it, the Yaksha is so pleased with Yudhishthira, he tells him that I will give you back the life of one of your brothers. 
And at that time, Yudhishthira says, okay, give me the life of Nakula, right? And the Yaksha is very surprised by the choice of the brother whom he has asked. He says, the four brothers, Bhima and Arjuna, are also among them who have died. So the Yaksha says, look at your plight right now. You're in the forest and there's most likely to be a war after this because I'm sure that Duryodhana is not going to give you. But even otherwise, even if you were to become a king, it is always better to have a very mighty brother with you. So why don't you choose Bhima or Arjuna? Why are you choosing Nakula? Right? And so Yudhishthira gives the explanation why he chooses Nakula because he is the son of Kunti. Nakula and Sahadeva are the sons of Madri, the other wife of Pandu. So he says, if my mother has one son alive, it is only right that Mother Madri also should have one son alive. And the Yaksha is very, very pleased by it. But he says, what about the protection? You know, who will protect you if there is a war? Who will protect you if you become the emperor? And at that time, Yudhishthira says that I do not depend for my protection on any of my brothers or their prowess or their talent. I only depend on dharma. Dharma is my shield. Dharma is what protects me. Right? That is the attitude Yudhishthira had. But then who else will know it? Right? The other kings, the other people who have assembled, they will probably will not be privy to this noble attitude of Yudhishthira. They all would have thought that Yudhishthira has come because he has Bhima on one side and he has Arjuna on one side. Right? And he has probably Abhimanyu and all of these other great warriors. They will look at it from that point of view. And Arjuna definitely is one of Yudhishthira's trump cards. So they will say that you know, Yudhishthira has taken up this challenge of challenging all of these great warriors and questioning this Hastinapur, which is supposed to be impregnable and indefeatable, merely depending on somebody like Arjuna. right? So they would say that Arjuna, you have given him hope, you have brought him till the battlefield. And all of this, if you go away, now if you go back, they will all say that the talent of Arjuna was simply probably empty self-proclamation. There was nothing great about it. Right? Tato dukhataram nakim. What can be more painful than that? Than people speaking like this about you. And that's what uh, Krishna asks. That the situation is such that now choosing to go away is very, very bad. If you were to put ourselves in Arjuna's place and think from the point of view of Arjuna's grief, right? More than Arjuna's grief, if we were to think of it from the point of view of Arjuna's ego, Arjuna has had a noble thought, right? Nevertheless, nonetheless, I mean, the reason why many people find it difficult to come to terms with why Krishna is asking Arjuna to fight when Arjuna is saying, I don't want to fight is, somebody saying, I don't want to fight is a very noble thought, right? If it occurs to you and me, it is a noble thought. If there is a conflict and we say that, all right, I, I forgive you, or even at home with, within siblings, if you're fighting over something, a, a toy or something like that, if you let the other sibling have it, it's a very noble gesture to do, right? So Arjuna is performing a noble gesture and Krishna is telling him no, right? And that is why this is not mere nobility, mere goodness that Arjuna is being taught by Krishna, but he's teaching something beyond good and bad. Right? That is why this is Brahma Vidya. This is the ultimate wisdom that Arjuna is receiving from Krishna. So in that sense, looking at it from his point of view of his grief and from the point of view that he's come up with a noble idea. Right? He for a moment would have thought that Krishna is going to pat him on his back and say, come on, I'm so proud of you. Right? But now Krishna is challenging it from all of these angles. Right? So now Krishna is saying, what will people think of you? So Arjuna's immediate response probably would have been that who cares what others think, 
right? That's why I'm saying put yourself or if I think of it, putting myself in Arjuna's place, when I have a noble thought, that noble thought will actually lead to a certain amount of ego and pride, right? Because it is meant to be that way. When you do the right thing, it is supposed to give you that confidence and there should be a righteous ego that is attached to it. So here is Arjuna thinking that what he is suggesting is a noble thing to do. So it is backed by ego, right? So when Krishna comes and tells him that, oh, if you do this, everybody is going to talk ill of you, the immediate response of Arjuna is going to be, who cares? I am not bothered about what others think, right? I am only interested in what I am supposed to do, right? That's what most of the youngsters also say. I don't care what others talk. I know that this is the right thing to do. I will do it. Well, in a sense, that is a right attitude to have. In what sense is it the right attitude to have? It is the right thing to do only when we are constantly listening to our conscience. When we are following our conscience, we will be performing our dharma without fail. That's again a point which we'll come to later, that following the conscience and performing a dharma cannot be at conflict. It has to be the same, right? So when we are following the conscience, when we are scrupulously obeying the command of the conscience, then we can say, I absolutely don't care what others say or what others think or what others speak of me. That is what Krishna is explaining here. Either you follow your dharma, which is what your conscience is prompting you to do, and do what you're supposed to do, right? That is when you will be absolutely clear. When if we are not clear of what our duty is, like in the case of Arjuna here, he's deluded and he's not able to decide what is the right thing to do. To a certain extent, you can go by this idea of what others will speak of me or what we refer to as Kirti, right? This is a very important point to keep in mind. Yes, we should not constantly think what others will think of me and always be bothered about that. We should follow the conscience and when we are constantly following the conscience, definitely we don't have to be bothered about that. In fact, if we are doing the right thing, Kirti, good name and good fame will come automatically, right? That's what Krishna is trying to explain here. You do the right thing, people will speak highly of you, you will get the heaven in return and all of that. But when we are not sure, to an extent, you can go by Kirti, right? What Arjuna is going through is actually a perfect example for that. Yes, we should lead a life without worrying about what others think. But Arjuna is here deluded as to what his duty is. And in such a situation, it is okay. If you look at Arjuna's situation, what has he been deluded by or what is deluding him? We have defined it. It is being deluded by his mamatvam. As he himself has declared, karpanya dosha upahata swabhava. His perception is being deluded by miserly compassion. Right? That's a phrase that we coined to understand this idea of karpanya. Right? If we were to refresh ourselves, compassion that is guided by attachment. Arjuna is moved to tears because the people before him are his own people. Right? He is a warrior. He has probably participated in other wars and conflicts and he has killed people before. At that time, he did not think of compassion. Now, compassion is coming in because he is feeling, you know, these are my people. Swajanam, he says, these are all my people. So that compassion is being driven by a narrow-minded approach and that's why we called it miserly compassion, right? It's not broad-hearted compassion. It is miserly compassion which is being directed to a specific group of people. Right? And when such compassion deludes you, how do you know what is right and wrong? You are thinking that you're being compassionate when you're actually being selfish. Right? That is what Arjuna is doing right now. 
sometimes when we are driven by that delusion we think that we are being noble when we are in the process giving up what is our dharma so if my mamatvam or attachment is distorting my vision doesn't it make sense that the others who are around watching the scene or watching what i'm going through who do not have the same attachment as i am having when i'm in the middle of the situation will be able to see more clearly than i am able to see won't they be better judges of the situation than i have been right because when i'm in the middle of it first of all i'm deluded by me being in that situation and i'm attached to the situation right and apart from that that stress and the worry which i'm going to be subjected to like in the case of arjuna right all of this deludes you and somebody who's outside the circle somebody who is the society who is just watching this entire thing play out in front of them they are not involved through their attachment or the ego they are not involved through their grief or sorrow won't their perception of the situation be a little more clearer than ours when we are trapped in it right for example if you'll take the example of dhritarashtra himself his sons were never wrong according to him because they were his sons because they were his own but for the subjects the kauravas and pandavas were equally the same kind of uh, status were given because they were both princes right the 100 kauravas and the pandavas fell into the same bracket to put it in that sense that they were all equally princes for the subjects but when they looked at it from the point of view of being subjects and not from the point of view of being a father like dhritarashtra they could clearly see that the kauravas were unrighteous and the pandavas were righteous right in this case isn't it clear that the society's judgment was much much better than the judgment of even though dhritarashtra is the king and he is the great one and all of that right it is purely because the judgment of the society is not distorted by the same thing that distorts our judgment at sometimes right and that's what makes factoring in kirti or fame very important right and that's why there is that uh, famous padyam which swami would often uh, sing before his discourses satyam kirti dvayam sthiram right i hope i'm getting that right swami would say that kirti or name and fame swami is raising it to the level of truth satyam kirti dvayam sthiram he says only these two are permanent which means to consider what others will think or what how others will judge my actions though it is not an absolute indicator of right and wrong it is something which can be considered especially when we are distorted when our idea of what to do is distorted right so on one hand the strain of argument is because arjuna is a kshatriya and this argument will sting him to action right literally because this is what is dearest to him name and fame is very very dear to him so it will sting him to action and that's why krishna is using this argument but this in a way is applicable to us too if we lead a good life eventually we will earn good name and sometimes the opinion of the society or thinking what will the others think of me or think of my action could be a good direction a good indicator as to which direction we must take right and that is why what krishna is saying here about fame and infamy is so very important even in our day to day life we'll go to the next verse probably we'll have enough time to cover that it's not a verse which will need much explanation i believe we'll listen to the verse i'll give you the meaning after that 
and then we'll conclude with that hato va prapsyasi swargam jitva va bhokshyase mahim तस्मादुत्तिष्ठकोन्तेय युद्धाय कृतनिश्चयः इदर बाय बीइंग किल्ड यू विल अटेन हेवन और बाय विनिंग यू विल एन्जॉय द अर्थ देयरफॉर ओ अर्जुना राइज अप विद डिटरमिनेशन फॉर फाइटिंग एंड फाइनली कृष्णा इज समराइजिंग दिस पार्ट ऑफ द आर्गुमेंट बाय सेइंग either way whether you look at it as a sin and merit or from the point of view of the present or whether or not you will be victorious or defeated to fight is the best option for you in front of you right because this is the entire plethora of arguments krishna has placed in front of him from anything whether you win or lose whether you believe you are the deha or you or you believe you are the dehi all of it considered to act right now do what you're supposed to do fight is the right thing to do hatahava if you get killed prapsyasi swargam you will attain the heaven why because to participate in a dharma yuddha and be on the right side as we saw is like coming before heaven with its door wide open upapannam swargadwaram apavritam so you should not be bothered about dying in the battle because it's a huge factor to be removed out of the thing yes arjuna is a kshatriya and he is never worried about dying but he says that if you participate in the war and if you die the end of that is also seems to be something which is beneficial to you and that's what krishna is telling here jitwaba or if you win and become the conqueror bhokshasye mahim you can enjoy the world and when he says enjoy the realm he does not necessarily mean just the kingdom and the luxuries that come with the kingdom he of course says bhokshasye mahim he says you can enjoy the world the land right but he also means what he was referring to sometime back the good name the respect the good will of all the people all of this can be enjoyed if he wins and if he continues to live and of course the unsaid part is the opposite of whatever he's telling in this verse if you don't fight you and all these people will live right because that's what uh, arjuna is saying that i am not going to participate in this war let me take sanyas and go off into the forest so he says if you don't fight you will continue to live and what will happen if you continue to live duryodhana will only become even more eviler in that sense because the only people who had the might as well as the will to challenge his adharma were the pandavas and if they were to retreat if they were to go away it will only embolden him and he'll say that now nobody is there to question me nobody is there to challenge my might so he will only become even more evil he will become and as we said you know he will be the ruler of the realm so he is going to be controlling the media so he will decide what people will think of arjuna so he will not say that arjuna came and told us that i don't want to fight you can keep your battle he will say that arjuna got scared and ran away right that's the rumor he will set off so duryodhana will become even more evil he will be emboldened to do even more adharmic actions and because of that who will suffer the the society will suffer the nation will suffer and everyone will curse and speak ill of the pandavas especially of arjuna for not checking the unrighteousness which he had the opportunity to and as krishna said earlier no pain is greater than such infamy 
and eventually you will die right even if you don't participate in this war you will die but when you die like that because you would have earned demerit by not participating in the war because of failing in your duty you will end up in hell so he says if you participate in this war if you win you will be able to rule over the nation if you lose if you would die you will go into heaven and the unsaid part is as i said the corollary is let us say you don't participate you still will die and when you die you will reach hell but when you live you will be subjected to all of this infamy because when you had the opportunity to check unrighteousness you chose not to check it tasmat therefore uttishta kaunteya get up o son of kunti kritanishya yuddhaya having taken the resolve to fight so krishna is clearly explaining to arjuna whether you think you are the deha or the dehi whether you're looking at it from the point of view of drishtafala or adrishtafala whether you win or lose there is nothing better to do than fight and as we have mentioned so many times before the war the battlefield the fight arjuna the warrior all of these are only symbolic right krishna is giving a means by which if we were ever in a dilemma how to think how to make that decision right and all of these will become process of thinking eventually it's not that every time we have a problem we will be sitting and thinking of all of this in the sequence it will become a spontaneous reaction in our mind this is how we will respond and this is how i have to do and these are the ways i have to look at it what if i act what if i don't act what will be the benefits of me acting and not acting and all of these pros and cons will be looked into right and this might appear like an elaborate thing to do an unnecessary mental battle to take on the reason why this is important is this is what we refer to as mindful or conscious living where you take control over every decision that you take you weigh the pros and cons and you do it in a manner which is important not like a businessman saying that if i do this i'll benefit so much if i don't do this i won't benefit so much but even more deeper than in that sense is this really my dharma is it going to influence the life of others more than just myself that is precisely what arjuna is failing to do he is looking at it from his point of view he is saying that this is my kingdom i'm going to give it away he is refusing to see from the point of view of him giving away the kingdom is not the right thing because he does not have the right to do that right when you say that he is a kshatriya he is duty bound to fight he does not have the right to give away the fate of the people saying that you know i'm giving you to duryodhana you know your fate is under his care as a person who has the might to challenge unrighteousness he should be challenging it and that is the message that we need to keep in mind to learn to look at it from the point of view of the larger good and the ability to constantly think of such things when we are making decisions is what makes us mindful and that is what we need to do before every act is performed especially acts of significance i'm not saying that every simple act of brushing your teeth and having bath yes all of that also involves the welfare of others you must think of the pain that you will put through others if you don't do all of these small acts that's a good thing but i'm talking about important decisions that have to be made definitely this thinking this kind of thinking has to go into the verses that are going to follow especially the next one is a very very important verse 
and eventually krishna is going to talk about the other ways of empowering ourselves to do the right thing right it is one thing to know what is dharma and what is adharma it is one thing to know what is the right action to be performed but one other aspect is how to deal with the sorrow which comes after that that was dealt with in the first part of the second chapter what is it that we need to perform our actions how do we need to prep ourselves before we are able to do the dharmic actions that is what krishna is going to be speaking about he is going to speak about yoga he is going to speak about the other techniques of karma yoga and all of that but that will come as we progress in this triune pilgrimage of the gita series i hope that you will all be able to join me next week in resuming this journey thank you for being with me i most humbly offer this effort at swami's lotus feet and as always ever grateful for swami ever grateful to swami for this opportunity and thanking all of you for being a part of this journey the triune pilgrimage the gita series